Hey, good morning. Uh, if you are joining us this morning, uh, we don't really have anybody on just yet. I just started our live feed, but I'm starting at 10 minutes early. And uh, just to give folks a chance to log on and know or to to join us and know they're in the right place. And here's Greg Fields just walked up in here. Um, but we are glad that you are going to join us this morning. And I want to just give you this notice that I'm starting about nine minutes at this point. So if you've joined us later in the week or later today, you can fast forward to about nine minutes from now um, to where we actually get started. So for the next nine minutes or so, we're just going to be kind of hanging out. I'll share some announcements at the very beginning and I'll share the announcements at the end as well. So um, please um, just stick around. We'll see you in a minute. Hey, just letting you know you're in the right place. We're going to start in about five minutes. Uh, if you are uh, joining us later today uh, and you're not actually live with us right now or you're listening later this week, you can just fast forward five minutes uh, because the next five minutes are really not going to be entertaining at all. You're really looking at a, a wooden wall. Uh, it's a nice wall, but it probably won't, won't keep you occupied. So uh, we'll join us again in about five minutes.
Hey, you're in the right place. Uh, yes, I've been trying to keep muted between times that I step up here. So I had a couple people ping me uh, wondering if we're muted. Hopefully you can hear me now. Um, just wanting to uh, give you a little heads up. We're going to start in about two minutes and I'll start with some announcements that I'll share at the end as well. So just giving folks a chance to, um, to get connected and logged on. So we'll see you in about two minutes, one minute maybe. Hey, welcome. You're in the right place. Uh, if you've joined us, uh, Crosspoint Fellowship Online for our live feed, it's 11 a.m., 11.01, and I'm going to go ahead and get started with some announcements and give folks some chance, uh, a few minutes to go ahead and continue to join us in these next few minutes. We have some life groups that are meeting this morning, or at least one that I know of, possibly more, uh, so we're glad that y'all are migrating toward uh, being together again and taking little, little baby steps and moving that direction. So, um, but let me share a few announcements if I can, and then we'll get started. First of all, we're praying for first responders in May, and it's a fitting time. Our first responders and our medical personnel have put themselves in harm's way in so many different ways over many years. But in these last season, especially so, caring for folks, being exposed to folks in all kinds of situations, uh, we want to continue to pray for our first responders, both of those that we know and those that we don't, those that are serving us and those that we know who are serving uh, in maybe in Dallas or in, in surrounding areas. Um, let me let me give you two. Uh, uh, the, these announcements aren't in any specific order, so I'm kind of all, all over the place. Uh, I want to encourage you to invite others to join us in these next couple of weeks. Let me give you a sense of what we're doing in the coming weeks. Uh, first of all, I want to say that this last couple of months has not been a wash for us. We actually, for years, uh, starting when we planted this church years ago, pined for worship to take place between Sundays. And we began to use this language of being a people rather than um, going to church. Uh, there's nothing wrong with someone saying going to church. Please don't hear me condemning that. That's not what we were communicating. But it was just this thought, let's shore up our language and maybe call this building that we typically gather at the church building but let's identify ourselves as the people of God, the church. So that language and that verbiage has been connected to a burden that we've had for a long time, for many years, that the people of God would worship wherever they go, would be a sweet aroma of Christ wherever they go, in their workplace, in their neighborhoods, in their homes, and that we wouldn't just show up on Sundays and participate in an activity, but it would be more about an identity. So these last couple of months, really, that has not perished. In fact, that may have actually flourished in these last couple of months where people in their homes, families are gathering, small groups of young adults uh, are gathering, uh, folks are gathering in places where they're inviting 
a conversation about the goodness of the Lord. Uh, they're bringing worship into their homes in situations and circumstances where they may not have in the past. So that's a win. We are not counting these last couple of months, uh, a, a, even a hiccup, really, in many ways. I, I think it's it's something that we could call answered prayer as the, the flame has been fanned within homes of people worshiping. So now, given that, we do want to gather again. We want to gather as a people uh, at Crosspoint Fellowship, our, the people of Crosspoint Fellowship, at our campus. Uh, so in these coming weeks, we're going to be migrating, moving back in that direction. This is the last Sunday that we'll be, that I'll be uh, hopefully forever uh, on a live feed from the foyer. Uh, it's not my favorite thing. Uh, the people that are, my family's joining me. Greg Fields is here this morning. Uh, the last couple of weeks, the, the uh, blood sows and the beans have joined us. Uh, some folks that don't have good Wi-Fi, uh, just to keep it under 10 folks, but uh, we've I think all of us would agree that it's unnatural. We're missing this element of worship and song. We're missing the element of fellowship, of seeing the faces that are, are so dear to us. So we're moving in that direction. This next Sunday will be our first Sunday back in the worship center with a live feed. And there'll be a, a small worship team that'll join me, uh, a, a support team, uh, media and sound team uh, in the sound booth in the back, and probably their families, and then possibly... Um, some leadership families, kind of a skeleton crew of leadership folks to begin to think through how we can execute our corporate worship together on June 14th in a way that is careful, uh, but meaningful and not distracting, but is a way that would, would keep us all from um, uh, putting ourselves in, in, in harm's way in a way that we don't need to. So uh, trying to figure out how to work through those details these next couple of weeks, May 31st and June 7th, will be live feed from the worship center. A lot of our life groups are going to be gathering, I think, or some of our life groups during that season to hear and enjoy the sermon together on a Sunday morning, slowly making our way back into us all being together on June 14th. So that's a long announcement, but it's something I want to kind of give you some context for where our hearts are on what's been going on these last couple of months. We counted a win, uh, but we are very excited about being back together again in these next, uh, next few weeks. And we're making our way uh, progressively. So be looking for information about that and content about that. Uh, also, I want to invite you to join us next Sunday night uh, at 7 p.m. for a membership Zoom meeting. And I want to use membership, that language, a little bit loosely. Uh, there are going to be some baptisms. We're going to have folks that aren't members that are going to be joining us incarnate. Uh, on the baptism site, uh, I know for sure at our house, uh, the McGraw house, uh, another house or someone else is going to be baptized. I think there are going to be many family members that aren't part of our membership. So we're not going to be disclosing any sort of uh, super secret member info. Not that there's really ever any of that kind of stuff going on, but uh, it, it's opened up to beyond membership. So if you've been visiting with us online or if you've been visiting with us in the flesh before this whole whole uh, coronavirus uh, season, uh, then I uh, want to invite you to join us that evening. I'll send out an email uh, invite this week with a Zoom invite uh, so that you can join us. We're going to have some baptisms, some actual live baptisms or baptisms that will be performed live on the Zoom uh, meeting. And uh, we have a couple of young adults and a couple of young people, uh, children that are going to be baptized as well. So, uh, and that's at the very least, possibly more between now and then. So that's something to celebrate. We have some new members that we want to present on that Sunday Zoom meeting as well. So that's at 7 p.m. next Sunday night. So just put that in your your uh, calendar and just kind of be, be attentive to look for information to connect you to that. VBS registration is going on right now. I want to invite you to uh, connect to the um, the registration, it's at crosspointfellowship.us forward slash VBS forward slash. Uh, there's a ladies virtual Bible study that's going on right now. Uh, it started on Thursday, and I think it would be the kind of thing that you could could parachute into if you've missed this first Thursday. But it's titled, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And that will be every Thursday. So look for, for an email uh, or look for something on Instagram or Facebook to connect you to that. Um, Let's see, there won't be any Monday activities being a holiday. I think the only thing that was on the schedule for Monday is a ladies coffee at 10 a.m. And uh, so that that won't actually happen tomorrow. So uh, and I'll share these announcements as well at the end. So if you've missed some of these announcements, then please don't fret. Uh, of course, it's recorded so you could listen again, but you can listen at the very end and pick up these announcements as well. Let's go ahead and begin our morning um, or continue our morning in prayer.
And pray with me if you would, please. Lord, this morning, first of all, we want to pray for a people group. We're praying for the Kayasa people of India. Lord, we are lifting up, uh, as you well know, the least reached people in the world, the hundred most or hundred least reached people groups in the world. And this people group of India is 99.97% Hindu and 0.03% Christian. And Lord, we are uh, lifting them up to you, uh, not like it's news to you, not like you're unaware of the lostness, but we're lifting this, this people, group, people group up to you, asking that your name would be hallowed among them and in them and even through them. Lord, we pray that, that your name would be great, that you would be revered and enjoyed, that you would be worshipped among a people group that doesn't know you, that you would gather your sheep from the far corners to include the people group of the Kayash, the people of India. Lord, we are asking you to uh, create, an, a, in some ways, some questions, stirring questions, uh, maybe even dreams and visions among this people group, and that that would connect to people that are going to the far corners, maybe even folks that are there now in Christ's name, and folks that are heading there in Christ's name in the coming months and years, Lord, we pray that you would burden folks to go to the far corners and take the good seat of the kingdom uh, to those who don't know you. So we're lifting up this people group and asking, asking you to draw them to yourself. Lord, also, we want to pray, as we mentioned this morning, that for our first responders, we are so thankful for the many people that, that come to mind right now, both part of our church family and folks that we know who serve us in so many different ways uh, through uh, fire, uh, police, uh, medical services. Lord, we are grateful for the, um, the, the service that they provide our community. Uh, we're thankful for the hearts of our brothers and sisters that serve in those ways that we know are serving in those, in those, uh, in those ways as an act of worship, as an act of calling in many ways. Lord, we want to ask you to just bless them in their ministry to this community and surrounding communities. I ask you to give them endurance. I ask you to guide them and fuel them with worship. Lord, we pray, especially this month, that they will be blessed as we place them at your feet, asking you to care especially for them and their families. Lord, also in the, this morning, I want to pray for folks that are, uh, are sick, are um, anxious, uh, for folks that are especially concerned, uh, maybe because of potential sickness or the potential for a, a pretty challenging situation, if the, if the coronavirus were to uh, to spread, Lord, we uh, just ask you for all folks that are dealing with those many different concerns and questions that all of us would fix our eyes on Christ and trust Him in this season and trust you. Lord, we pray that you would guide our steps that you would sustain us whatever these coming weeks and months hold, whether it's uh, regarding sickness, our economy, our jobs, our community, whatever whatever is in store, Lord. We pray that the people of God will trust you and asking you to do that and work that in us. Lord, lastly, we want to pray for these few minutes that we have together. We pray that in these particular moments that your name would be hallowed. As we consider your name, Lord, I pray that you would be enjoyed. I pray that we would sit in awe, that we would marvel at your goodness and your greatness and your mercy and your justice and your love and your forgiveness. Lord, I pray all that you are will be on display as we enjoy your name and that we together uh, join in this request for your name to be hallowed. And trusting these few moments to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On Wednesday night this last week, we had an elder meeting. And one of the things we've been doing uh, the last few elder meetings is spending time talking about the past sermons. And if we have a chance to talk about some upcoming sermon thoughts. And uh, often those go together. Um, and one of the things that we enjoyed discussing this last Wednesday night is the wonder of this simple little prayer uh, that many of us learned as children. Uh, it was not something that I remember reciting a lot. I don't remember it being coached uh, to memorize. I may have in, in some Sunday school class or uh, Royal Ambassadors or Training Union or something like that, having grown up in the church. But I don't recall it being something that I referred to and thought of often. But as we've been working through this, I kind of anticipated spending a Sunday or two 
on the Lord's Prayer. And I'm finding as I'm spending time in it that uh, I remember something that was said about the book of John is that it is simple enough and shallow enough for children to wade in. Uh, but it's deep enough for elephants to swim in. And that's one of the, I think, a, a nice little image of the beauty of this this prayer. Uh, as an elder body on, on Wednesday night, we were talking together about it and uh, just enjoying a group of men being very vulnerable with each other, uh, talking about our needs, um, our dependence on him. And one of the things that was that we discussed uh, Wednesday night was the beauty of this Lord's Prayer in some ways being worldview shaping, that it not only uh, sheds light on uh, ways that we may not be viewing our world uh, as we should as followers of Christ, but it is supernatural in the sense that it is informing us and equipping us to view our world through a lens uh, that looks Godward and a lens that is asking the right questions. It's pining for the right things. That's that's really exciting to think that we're actually right in the middle of that. So based on that conversation and the time that we spent talking together, I'm just going to spend a Sunday on each petition. Um, the, um, the, there are six or seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, depending on how you number them. And this morning, we'll just be spending uh, the rest of our morning just on the first petition. It's just four words. So um, if you would, just go ahead and stand me or stand with me and uh, join me uh, as we read from God's word, this beautiful, simple prayer. From Matthew chapter six, verse nine. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. God, speak to us. Speak to us through this beautiful prayer. Father, teach us to pray from the greatest teacher uh, the world has ever known. I'm praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Our first petition, hallowed be your name. I thought that it'd probably be worth spending some time this morning developing this sentence, these four words, uh, kind of identifying what the subject is, what the verb is, what the object is, and, and then spending some time on the verb. What does this hallowed mean? In fact, someone asked me yesterday, uh, what does that mean? You're going to spend some time explaining that. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. We need to know what we're talking about. I think it's, first of all, helpful for us to realize the subject that we're talking about here of who we're praying to. What we're asking here is the father, our father in particular. That's the subject of this sentence in some ways. And then the verb there is hallowed. And then the object would be his name. Our father, hallowed be your name. Okay, so let's spend some time on hallowed. Uh, hallowed is actually a verb. Uh, it's in an imperative sense uh, in, in the Greek original. It would be a, almost like a cry. It would be like a, 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 you're almost pleading. Uh, it, it seems as, as if the son here is pleading with his father. Hallowed be your name and appeal to him that interestingly enough is the very per first petition of the prayer and uh, should be um, seen as, as emphasized. It's almost a plea. The word actually means, this verb hallowed, it means to set aside something or make suitable for ritual purposes. Some synonyms are consecrate and dedicate. Consecrate your name, Father. Dedicate your name. Might be some synonyms that we could plug in there. Another uh, definition for this word is to treat as holy. So a synonym would be revere, or if we could, could make up a word, reverify your name, to make it a verb, reverify your name, make your name revered. And here's another um, definition that gets especially uncomfortable, especially personal, but then wonderful at the same time. Uh, Hallowed could be defined as uh, eliminate that which is in incompatible with holiness. A synonym would be to purify. It's a request to eliminate that which is incompatible with holiness. In some ways, it would be asking, Lord, purify your name. So if we could gather up all the synonyms there and we could actually even gather in the tone of this thing, then the way we could handle this is a plea at the beginning of our prayer, the beginning of this prayer where the son teaches us to pray. Our father, holify your name. Yet another word we're going to make up. Holify your name. Hallow 
your name, consecrate your name, reverify your name. And then we might add to that, purify your name or create something in those places, in those circumstances where it's not revered, where it's not treated as pure, make it pure. It's a request for God to act. We're talking about this being God's verb to hallow, to holify, to consecrate, to reverify and to purify. Now, if you're like me, I have, look, let me just give you a few places to prepare to turn this morning. Exodus chapter three is the first of those places. And then Exodus 34 and then Ezekiel chapter 36. So you can jot those down. You can go ahead and kind of have those ready. Uh, maybe put a bookmark or something in there. But Exodus chapter three, I'd like for you to turn there if you would. As you're turning to Exodus chapter three, I'll share with you uh, a little bit of what has left me sort of uncomfortable with this request is a thought, isn't his name holy already? Isn't his name consecrated and pure already? Keep that thought and we'll come back to that. So we're going to spend a moment just sort of developing the wonder of his name. Exodus chapter three, uh, just kind of parachuting into this story. This is the story of God leading his people out of Egypt. Uh, God calls to Moses from the burning bush. And in many ways, uh, Moses responds in verse 11. He tells Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses' uh, a question to him is, who am I to do such a thing? That's one of his, his first questions. His second question is, who are you? Who am I supposed to tell them you are? So look at that. Look at how this unfolds here in verse 13. And Moses said to God, if I'm to come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, okay, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Okay, so in some ways it's kind of maybe checking on him. Is he conjure this thing? Did you make this thing up? Are you truly representing the God of Israel? So they say, what is his name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Uh, years ago, I went to school at Texas A&M and I was in the cadet corps. And one of the practices in the cadet corps is uh, uh, dropping handles. Uh, your first year as a freshman, you're calling everybody sir and ma'am. All the upperclassmen you refer to as sir or ma'am, uh, unless they drop handles with you. If you have a, an upperclassman that you're in, in class with, uh, the, the, the upperclassmen that are your, your company later on in the year will drop handles with you. But maybe somebody in your class that you see every day might drop handles with you where you, you join them in a first name basis. You're able to know that upperclassman who outranks you, at least in this you know, little cadet corps thing, um, you get to know them on a first name basis. So I don't want to um, sort of reduce the, the impact of what's actually taking place here, but I want us to work at trying to connect to it and just consider in this moment, God is dropping handles with Israel. He's, he's entering into a first name basis with Israel. Up to this point, he's not been known by this God. But at this point, as Yahweh is what you're about to hear, I am who I am is what he says. And then he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The original Hebrew there is Haya or a version of Haya. And from the word I am Haya, we actually get the name of God, which is YHWH. There's no vowels in there. YHWH. God said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, Y-H-W-H, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Okay, so God here is dropping handles with Moses and in effect dropping handles with Israel. He's revealing his name or at least disclosing what his name is, Y-H-W-H. What we've done with that, with those consonants is we've added some vowels in there and they're the vowels that come from the name of God, Adonai. So those, those vowels are interimposed, inter, inter, inter I don't know if that uh, are imposed, are connected in within the consonants of Yahweh or Y-H-W-H to make the name that we have heard and probably used, Yahweh. Okay, so that's the name that he discloses to Moses and it's derived from Haya, I am. Okay, I turn to Exodus 34. We're fast forwarding through the story, uh, well, well beyond um, uh, 
actually beyond the Ten Commandments. Okay, I'd give you a little placement here. Beyond the Ten Commandments, uh, the nation of Israel has gathered and worshiped the golden calf at this point while Moses is up on the top of Sinai. Okay, Moses came down. He heard them, heard the raucous in the camp. He dropped the two stone tablets. Uh, uh, Moses uh, then actually mediates on behalf of Israel. Uh, God is ready to destroy the Israelites, but God, is, he intercedes, as you can see a little heading there in chapter 33. And then in chapter, later in third, chapter 33, uh, Moses asks God, he says, show me your glory in verse 18. Show me your glory. Now, let me, let me kind of give you a little context here. In ancient Israel, names meant something. Okay, many of you probably have a name that your parent gave you that uh, is connected to a, a family member or um, has some special meaning uh, in your family or as, an, as, a stand in, as a name standing alone might have some special meaning. Well, this was very common in ancient Israel that names really meant a lot. For example, just a few names that are familiar. Uh, Jacob is a name that you would know from the Old Testament story. His name means heel grabber. And if you know Jacob's story, you know the guy is a heel grabber. He's a little snake. He's a lion, little snake. He did it times two with Esau and Isaac. Abram is another one. His name was renamed. He was renamed Abraham, which means the father of many. Moses, since we're talking about Moses, his name actually means something. It means deliverer. So the meanings of names are profoundly important. And here Moses is asking God, God, show me your glory. And listen to what he says to him. In verse uh, 18, he says, show me your glory. And in verse 19, God said to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Okay, now he's already disclosed his name. He's already dropped handles, if we can use that, that really... Uh, primitive notion. He's already dropped handles with Israel, dropped handles with Moses. He's disclosed his name, Yahweh, derived from I am. But here he says, I'm going to do something more than that. I'm going to proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Now watch what unfolds later on in chapter 34. Look at verse six. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Okay, Moses at this point, is stuffed into the cleft of a rock just so he's going to survive this revelation of God's glory. All right, this is a profoundly dangerous moment. You can imagine Moses is just barely trying to peek out of the cleft of a rock while God, the Lord, Yahweh, passes before him proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh. Okay, our Bible say, oh Lord, or the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Okay, if we're going to go to name meanings, if we're going to, Abraham, your name means uh, the father of many. Moses, your name means deliverer. This is many ways is what God is saying his name means. And it takes a paragraph or two. It's significant. Listen to what it is. I want us to really gather up what he's saying about himself. If names reflect the character of a person, here God is saying, here's my name. I'm going to disclose to you my character and what I'm really about, how I move, what's important to me, things you'll see in and through me as you get to know, as you get to know me, as you walk with me. He says, I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And, but who will by no means clear the guilty. I'm not going to wink at sin. No, you're going to see mercy. You're going to see grace. You're going to see forgiveness. You're going to see abounding and steadfast love, but you're not going to see me winking at sin because I'm also at the same time just, and I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the sons and the sons and the sons' sons and ask Adam. We know that's true. 
Okay, you can see that he has disclosed a wonderful, wonderful name, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving and just. Now, kind of gathering up the glory of this name. Sounds pretty holy already, doesn't it? Sounds pretty sanctified already, doesn't it? Pure already, doesn't it? Consider this passage from the Ten Commandments. It'll be a familiar passage. It's the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is a specific prohibition against using the name of God improperly. And we're not just talking about cussing. I mean, I think cussing is probably the thinnest sliver of what we're talking about. This is a prohibition against using the name improperly. Now, let me just tell you right now, on this mount 2,000 years ago where Jesus is preaching and teaching them to pray, they already revered his name, at least in the treatment of it. In fact, they wouldn't even say the name Yahweh. They wouldn't even say it. They referred to him as the name it occurred to me as I was studying this and considering this, this holification or the holifying of his name, that on that mount 2,000 years ago, it was really pretty highly revered already. In fact, Jesus didn't even use the name Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? He referred to him as my father or our father. He did not speak of him as Yahweh. It made me think I'd feel really uncomfortable using my dad's first name. There's a connection and relationship there as my father, and I call him my dad, but I'd feel strange. It's almost irreverent to treat him, speak to him on a first name basis. Jesus didn't even use this name. His name is profoundly holy and glorious. Let's start right there before we really even get into the context or the, the, the meaning of the petition. His name is already profoundly holy and Glorious. This is the context for his teaching that the first petition is our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. He's holy indeed. So holy you have to hide, hide in a cleft when he passes by and discloses his name. His name is holy indeed, except when it's not. Okay, that's where we're going to go in these next few minutes. His name is holy and revered and sanctified and consecrated indeed, except in circumstances and occasions and spaces and places and people and communities and people groups where it's not. Turn to Exodus, or excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to give you a little context here. We're going to fast forward about a thousand years. Okay, Moses in the burning bush is around 1,500 years before Christ. Okay, if you want to want to kind of have some markers. I like to see kind of chronologically where these things unfold. About 1,500 years before Christ, about 1,500 years B.C., okay? About 1,000 years later. Now, this is not on the money. It's probably closer to 900 years later. But about, let's just for, for rounding sake, say about 1,000 years later, there's a guy named Ezekiel. Okay. Ezekiel was a guy that actually at this moment where we're about to consider what he's saying here is living in the land of Babylon. Some years earlier, now he was couldn't have been alive at this point, but he surely had heard from his fathers. The northern tribes of Israel had gone into exile into Assyria. Okay. At this point, Ezekiel, who was part of the tribe of Judah, is in exile in Babylon. Okay, we're fast forwarding a thousand years. Okay, the name has been revealed. Uh, God has dropped handles with Israel. He's placed his name on a people. He's gotten behind that name in the conquest where Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and they fight all the, the battles in the promised land. They take the promised land. God was with them. His name was there with them. Okay, so we're fast forwarding through the time of the judges, through the time of the kings, to the time where Israel goes into exile in Assyria and uh, Judah goes into exile into Babylon. And that's where we find ourselves here with this guy named Ezekiel, where he's going to share uh, some story here that's going to have to do with God's name. 
Okay, we're coming back to our request. We're going to keep that in view. We're praying, hallowed, holify your name. Hallowed be your name. Okay, so let's look at this. In Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Now, remember where he is? He's in Babylon. This would be like you being in Russia. Okay, unless Russia is your homeland. I'm talking, you're not in Greenville. You're not in your home. You've been ripped from your homeland. You've been taken off to some foreign land and made a slave. So just kind of make this kind of uh, something we can connect to. You've been ripped away from everything that you've known and you've been planted into a foreign land because of your people and what's happened. Okay, just to make it kind of personal and connect to it. We could imagine we're somewhere in Russia, for example. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Man, have you read the tragedies of the judges and the kings? The kings especially. We got it times two. First and second kings, first and second chronicles. Man, it's good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. Good king, and then the good king goes bad. It's one story after another. It's heartbreaking where the kings and the shepherds and the people were defiled by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. <laughs> if, if Ezekiel's anything, he's graphic. Gracious. Okay, Ezekiel, we got you. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries. Israel into Assyria, Judah into Babylon. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. You hear that? He's not going to wink at sin. He is just. He disclosed that to Moses. We know that about his name, that he's not going to wink at sin. We know he is just. Then in verse 20, but when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. We already know it's holy. We already know it's consecrated. We already know that it's awesome. But this people on which he placed his name had profaned his name by how they lived and how they moved. And it continues, it says, in that people said of them, these are the people of God. I, I feel like if I was a witness to this unfolding, I'd be going, I'd be holding my nose. These are the people of God. Man, they stink. These people are rank in their sin, in their worldliness, in their godlessness. These are the people of Yahweh. And let that hit you. They've gone to these foreign lands and their stench is their stench abounds. And yet they had to go out of this land. And then in verse 21, but I had concern for my holy name. And that's good. I'm just going to tell you right now, prepare you for this. this is something that's really good. God said his name on a people, but he had concern for his holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Their actions their movement had resulted in exile to the nations, Israel to Assyria, Judah to Babylon. The people he'd called his own and those he'd given his name profaned that name. They smeared it. They defamed it. They misrepresented their God in how they lived and how they acted. Their lives, their loves, their words, their actions weren't congruent with God's name and greatness. And if you want to kind of connect to it, maybe us Gentiles can connect to this story a little bit more so. I mean, hopefully we're really connected by this point, but let's just pan out and consider. They profaned his name and it resulted in eviction from the garden. I mean, can we pan out and realize this isn't just the story of Israel. This is the human story. They profaned his name from day one, Adam and Eve. From day one planted in the promised land, Joshua and the, the, the people of Israel that didn't eradicate and didn't follow God's instructions, didn't obey him fully. From day one, we have profaned and defiled his name and it resulted in eviction from the garden. Man, let's just start right there and connect to that thought. All of us can connect to that, hopefully. His name has been profaned and it cost mankind and it cost Israel. But look what happens 
in the following verses. And, and I'm thinking about this, you know, as I'm reading these following verses, I'm thinking somebody in the background while all this is going on is praying, hallowed be your name, God. Holify your name, purify your name, consecrate your name, redeem your name, make your name revered in this mess in Assyria and in Babylon. Somebody's praying. If you've read Daniel 9, we know he's one of them. I bet Ezekiel's praying. Jeremiah is also a contemporary. You know they're praying. They're begging for his name to be redeemed and for his name to be redeemed and consecrated and purified in this mess called the exiles, this mess called the eviction from the garden. Somebody's praying because what unfolds next or what he promises is beautiful. It is beautiful. Let's see where it goes. Beginning in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. You remember the holify verb? That's his verb. We're going back to his verb. He's acting. This prayer, this beginning of prayer, as Jesus is teaching us to pray on the Mount 2,000 years ago, begins with a, a request. God, you act. You act, please. Oh, house of Israel, I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Man, that's what we're talking about right there. Do it, God. Oh, it sounds good. I'm ready for you to throw this down. He says, I'm going to vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you've profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now listen what unfolds. Five or six things here that are just glorious. Here's the first one in verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your land. You're going to do what? For a people that has profaned and defiled your name, you're going to gather them up? Man, that sounds like mercy and grace and forgiveness. That sounds like your name. That's wonderful. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good to you? <laughs> Doesn't anybody want a cleansing? If you found yourself in exile because of the sins of your people, wouldn't you want to hear that? I'm going to gather you up and I'm going to cleanse you. I will cleanse you. You can't cleanse yourself. Here's the third thing. I will give you a new heart. Oh, I will give you a new spirit. I'll put it within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You can't muster this. You can't muster this on your own. I'll cause this in you. I'll, these are my verbs, Israel. These are my verbs, Ezekiel. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Man, this is the redeeming of his name. This sounds like, looks like our God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. In verse 32, he says, it's not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. We know he's acting for the sake of his name. He's consecrating it. He's holifying it. And look at the outcome here in verse 33, excuse me, 35. This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Isn't, I mean, I'm getting, I get goosebumps thinking about this promise that he's, he's sharing with this people while they're in exile, while they're sitting there defiled, they defiled his name. They profaned his name. They're sitting there in the, I mean, the graphic imagery that he's already given us. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. What a remarkable God. 
I mean, can we just stop right there for a moment and just say this is like no other God in all the world, in any world religion. This God is truly graceful, truly merciful, abounding in steadfast love, shocking love. Why would he do this for people? He says, I didn't do it for you because of you. I did it for the sake of my name. This is who he is. He's going to restore Israel, verse 24. He's going to cleanse his people, verse 25. He's going to place his spirit in them so that they can at least keep his commandments, verse 26 and 27. He's going to bless the soil of Israel with amazing fruitfulness, verses 29 and 30. And then in 35, he's going to restore Eden. You know, the pages after Ezekiel, we have an intertestamental, intertestamental period of about 500 years. We have some prophets that populate those sort of the front end of that window. In those pages, I don't see that happening just yet. I see these profound promises as he's going to consecrate and redeem and reverify his name. But I see little hints of it, little windows, little shadows like Nehemiah and Ezra going back and rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. But man, I don't see Eden restored. I don't see the soil of Israel blessed with amazing fruitfulness. I don't see the Holy Spirit being emplaced within them to, to where they can keep his commands. I don't see those things happening just yet. I don't even see the people quite cleansed. I see it prophesied. Zechariah chapter three from our Advent season, right? Joshua, the high priest, I'm going to put a clean turban on you, clean vestments. But it hasn't happened just yet. We have little windows of being restored to Israel as some of the people are restored back home. So just keep those things in view in Ezekiel chapter 36. And then we're going to land the plane this morning in John chapter 12. So please turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to make sense of this whole thing. We've been on quite a journey this morning. I know it. It's daunting. For me, it's been a little daunting because I'm thinking, man, this is a little more complicated than I like it. I don't know how else to tell the story without taking us where we've gone this morning. But we're going to land the plane in John chapter 12. We know that his name is holy. We know that it already is. We know that his name is consecrated. We know that his name is pure. And we know, though, that people can, can defame that. We know that people can defile his name, profane his name, that the people of God can do such a thing as well. And we know that we have been and are evicted from Eden, but we know that he's going to act on behalf of his name. He told Ezekiel, I'm going to act on behalf of his name. So we're fast forwarding beyond Ezekiel. 500 years to the, ser or to the Sermon on the Mount, here on this mount, as Jesus is teaching them to pray, our Father, holify your name. Act on behalf of your name. Okay, so look at John chapter 12. And remember, this is a request that the Father would act in a way that holifies, or makes his name revered. Now listen to how Jesus uh, praise in uh, beginning in verse 27. First a statement and then a short prayer. Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. A little context. He's in his last week. You can look across the page. Triumphal entry is a heading that I see right across the page. He's in his final days going up to the cross. And he's praying to the father here in verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Okay, knowing that his hour is at hand, knowing that he's facing the travail of the passion and the cross and the suffering, knowing that he's facing death, that the resurrection is coming, knowing the ascension or all of those things are at hand, Jesus calls out, Father, glorify your name. Now, first of all, let's just consider he follows his own outline. He prays like he teaches us to pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Father, glorify your name. The same teacher of the mount follows his own outline. And in some ways, this prayer, this short prayer, is like asking, Father, do what you said you were going to do when you spoke through to and through Ezekiel. 
Do what you promised Israel in the world 500 years ago. Fulfill that now through me right here, right now in this very hour. Restore your people, right? Cleanse your people. Remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Give them the spirit so that they can obey. Fulfill all the promises that you made to and through Ezekiel. Restore them, Father, to Eden. And we're importing and embedding so much into this short, brief request. Glorify your name. He's going to be the fulfillment of what he's asking here. He's asking that he can go ahead and finalize this thing, that he can be the fulfillment of what was promised. He says, I am ready in some ways to fulfill what you promised. And I'll tell you this, what Eve pined for. Yeah, we're going way back in the story there. You know, Eve's shock when this first son was born, Cain, what she declared is the God man has been born. This man that's going to restore us to Eden. What a disappointment it must have been when the little dude turned out to be a murderer and then he murders kid number two. And it wasn't Seth and it wasn't anybody after that till right here, right now in this very hour. Jesus is saying, I'm ready to holify your name. And the response from the father is beautiful. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The response from the father is I have glorified your name, my name, our name already. I had shadows of glory with Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding the wall and the temple and leading Judah home. I glorified it in your virgin birth in Bethlehem. I glorified it in your sinless life. My name has been glorified in your teaching, in your healings, your miracles, in your gentle, helpful touch, in your stiff rebukes. I've been glorified in your whole life, son. Man, I've already been glorified. And he says, I'm going to glorify it again. The fullness of my name, our name, son, will be displayed in your cross. The fullness of who I am will be displayed in your cross. You are who I promised Ezekiel, and you are how the promises that I made Ezekiel will actually come to fruition. You are it. I will glorify my name in you proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. How can we not look? How can we not think of all those things as we look to Christ in this cross? How can we not go Christward in that thought and that description of his name? If you didn't go there already, please go there now and see the person and work, the embodiment of Christ as the declaration of his name, consecrated, sanctified, revered, made pure in the person and work of Christ. Man, we see that first half of his name, but we also see the second half of his name. We see his justice. As every sin of every believer, past, present, and future, was placed on this person, this God-man, Jesus Christ on that cross. See the fullness of his name. As I've glorified it already, and I'll glorify it again. And this is the promise I make to you. Every time we as followers of Christ join Christ in praying, holify your name. This promise that the father made to the son, I'll glorify it again. He's going to glorify his name again. Every time those in union with Christ pray, father, holify your name. Father, redeem your name. In these circumstances that are dark, in this situation that you seem absent, you seem like your name is being profaned here. Redeem this.